0: Welcome to Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve, a place where theology and everyday life collide. The opinions expressed in Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve are ours and ours alone. We're not seeking to make a documentary with incriminating evidence. We're just seeking to provide an avenue for us to express ourselves,
1: tell our story, and help anybody who may be blessed by it. In doing so, we have changed some names and places for the sake of anonymity, and to protect those who may not want their information given out. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another super exciting and just elating episode of Rants and Revelations. I'm here. This is Mike. I'm here with Lance. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> we have correctly identified ourselves. We've still got that going for us. Uh, Steve couldn't join us today, so it's, it's me and Lance. And today's episode is going to be on finding a healthy church. That's right. Um, to kick us off, really crucial question here, very spiritual and uh, really deep. I would expect nothing less from you. I know. I know. That's how I roll. <laughs> Marvel movies, yes or no? Yes. Very much yes? Yes. Okay. You're a fan? Yes. Okay. I'm
0: not a comic book reader.
1: Okay. But I am a fan of those movies. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, what 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 do you like about Marvel movies? What makes them yes?
0: Uh, just I mean, it's superhero stuff. Who doesn't like superhero stuff? You know, Ooh. and it's like, <laughs> you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they're just fun. They're full of adventure. Um, some of them have you know pretty decent life lessons in them. Um, so yeah, big fan, big big fan of Black Panther. Like that's oh, yeah. probably a favorite. Uh, Marvel movie has been Black Panther.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, myself, I'm kind of fall on the other side of the spectrum. Um, I'm not anti Marvel movies per se. I just can never follow them. Uh, I've gone to several with, uh, my son loves Marvel movies and I know they're all the rage and they've, they've been really big for the past, like five years. There's been a lot of them coming out. um, So every time we go to a Marvel movie, I find myself about 20 minutes into it going, I have no idea what's happening right now. I'm just lost. It's your ADD. It probably is part of it. That's (laughs) honest. Like (laughs) that's not an unfair assessment. Like that actually is probably part of it. Um, I don't know what else it is. It, 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 I guess I have a hard time investing in the characters. Mm. Um, because I don't care. So do you, do <laughs> I have hard time caring. I think. Do you do you do any fantasy? Like, do you like f-
0: that, or do you prefer? Are you more of a like uh, autobiographical or or biopic? You know. Kind yeah. Of guy?
1: That's a good question. And a- actually, I do struggle with um, with fantasy stuff. I I've had the same experience with like Lord of the Rings. Um, I find myself zoning out. Harry Potter, same thing. I mean, they're good stories and, but yeah, after a minute, I'm just like, I'm like, hmm. So my first, um,
0: my only time trying to watch Lord of the Rings was with a bunch of people who had watched Lord of the Rings many, many times. Okay. And so then they're like talking all the way through it and (laughs) the characters in there are, you know, they kind of have this like whispery kind of. Thing to them, Gollum and the mm-hmm. different ones, and I'm already trying to like, what is he, what is he saying? And they're over here talking, and it was just a super frustrating uh, time. And so I've actually never seen Lord of the Rings, and I have, I have a bad taste in my mouth about it because of that.
1: It's triggery.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> I I have probably watched the first Lord of the Ring movies, Lord of the Rings movie. At least three or four times, and I still have no idea what happens. I, I know there's a ring. I know there's Gollum. I know they go to Mordor. I know there's, I, I think of it as like the great schlepp. I mean, they're just schlepping for like the whole movie. It's like two and a half hours of, of hoisting through some kind of like barren wilderness anyway. And then the trees and the talking. Uh, yeah. You do realize
0: that between your Chick fil A take and your Lord of the Rings take, Half of our listening audience is going to be gone now.
1: Yeah. I mean we and we had a lot of people drop off after they heard the <laughs> the, Chick-fil-A. the Chick-fil-A thing. We we lost a lot of listeners. Yeah. Several several angry emails. No. No one no one contacted me about that. <laughs> yeah. we'll you're good. you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not <laughs> hey, I didn't say anything about Narnia.
0: So I really had I had I just have issues, had, mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually past them now, but I had issues with allegorical kind of writing and mm. that genre. Yeah. I had issues with it for, since I was a kid, like it never computed yeah. with me. I really, I really struggled with it. But, um, but recently and especially, I've never been a big fan of reading anyway. Yeah. Um, but especially the late, like the Narnia movies that came out not that long ago, loved them. Yeah. Loved them. Um, but, uh, the reading of Chronicles of Narnia, those types of things have been really difficult for me.
1: See, I actually connected really well with the, with the Narnia movies because I read them as a kid. Mm. I read the books and loved them when I was a kid. And that's the only like fantasy books that I've read and really like connected with. Um, but I'm a true crime guy. Like, yes, we love true crime at our house as well, so. Yeah. yeah. We'll have
0: to do a introductory banter sometime on our true crime favorites yeah. because we've already taken enough time with this nonsense.
1: You think well, no, we should go another 3 minutes with this. This is <laughs> enthralling. Everyone's riveted. Everyone is riveted. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's get into our topic then. Today, we're talking about finding a healthy church. And what are the marks of a healthy church? And this is by no means a comprehensive breakdown per se. It's more going to be our experiences finding healthy churches. Guidelines, and, yeah, guidelines, parameters. We don't know your doctrinal bent. We don't know yeah. all of the things that you might want in a health in a church, and so we're not going to get into a lot of doctrinal underpinnings and stuff. We're going to get into more of the structural and sort of. Um, just elements that we think would be helpful to be there, especially if you're coming out of an abusive church so that you can find a place where you feel safe. Yes. I think that's the big takeaway is is finding a place that you feel safe at. So um, the first thing I would throw out there is that you find a church where Christ is glorified and the gospel is proclaimed. Amen. Amen. It seems obvious, but. Well,
0: it does, but there's so many uh, situations out there where the the leader is being glorified mm-hmm. and the leader's agenda is being proclaimed. And yeah. so, uh, it feels like we shouldn't have to say it, but we do. Yeah, <laughs> we Unfortunately, do. we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the, you know, the church is Christ's bride. Mm-hmm. And so he is to be made much of, um, our, our church, you know, every church, if you're a good, if you're a good church, you got to have a mission statement or a purpose statement or things like that. And if it's super spiritual, it will be alliterated. <laughs> Don't you know that alliteration <laughs> and is And there'll be the, three points. Uh, we have four. Oh, have even four, better. Wow. We you've have extra four ease that we, uh, you know, that we kind of try to guide our churches, ministries by. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do, if we're thinking about starting something else or doing something we haven't done before, we say, how does that fit into this statement that we've made? So, we have exalt is the first one. Our first primary, the banner that flies over what we do is to exalt Christ. Hmm. Like, that's that's our primary statement. So, how do we do that? We exalt Christ by encouraging one another, equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost.
1: That's awesome.
0: So, in exalt, encourage, equip, evangelize are our three E's. And so, when we start a ministry, when we think about doing something, some event, some whatever, d- it, does it fall under encouraging, equipping, or evangelizing? Mm. And if it doesn't, we don't do it, but it's pretty hard Not to make something fit into, (laughs) not to make it fit into one of those categories as well. So,
1: yeah, I love that. That's great. Yeah. um, You talked a little bit about the fact that sometimes there can be um, maybe a leader's agenda or some kind of maybe platform or something other than the gospel being promoted primarily. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say, Lance, that sometimes that looks like? In a church setting where maybe it's not as obvious from the outside looking in, but maybe once you're in there, you see it.
0: It could could even be something – I mean, I think there are blatant misuses of the pulpit, you Mm -hmm. know, in in promoting your personal agenda and things like that. But I think that there are um, pet doctrines Mm. that are biblical doctrines, but they get exalted to a level that is – like it it creeps its way into every – Sermon—it creeps its way into everything that you that you do. You know whether it's uh, you know the doctrine of uh, God's sovereignty or the doctrine, you know, whatever whatever these things might be, uh, it creeps its way in there. Social justice, recently, Mm -hmm. uh, you know those those sorts of things as they're they're creeping their way in and starting to become, they start to take the place that the gospel should have in the proclamation uh so we're pro- we're proclaiming social justice we're not proclaiming the gospel right and that can be it can be as um subtle as that because i i do think by the way that the church should be involved in social justice issues and mm-hmm. we should be um defending those who are unable to defend themselves such as the unborn and the, you know, and the, the marginalized, and we should be standing on their side. Um, but when that doctrine or that idea starts taking um, precedent over the proclamation of the gospel or becomes the gospel mm. in that church, right? This is the good news. The good news is that we stand with those who can't help themselves. Well, no, that's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus helps those who can't help themselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's the good news. And so when the when the message of social justice, God's sovereignty, uh, and I, you know, I'm just having trouble naming them off the right, top right. of my head. But there's others, not mm-hmm. just those two, start to take an elevated position. Uh, then you are missing the gospel proclaimed, and you're having doctrine proclaimed. Yeah, and it's biblical doctrine, but it's not to be elevated to the so it, the it
1: becomes then what I'm hearing you say, and you can tell me if this tracks, but maybe it's more of a problem of emphasis in some ways yeah. than it is necessarily the gospel being completely absent, or it's a problem of maybe a combination of emphasis and maybe working parts of our Christian life or doctrine. Or law or something back into the gospel that aren't actually part of the gospel. Yes, it's oftentimes a
0: reverse engineering into the into the gospel, right? Yeah. Um, there was a ministry locally to where I am located that was uh, went through a series of a uh, season of time, really focused on community, and they were really focused on they broke it's a very it's a larger church, and they broke their church down into community groups, they called mm. them. And they were people typically within a two to three block radius of one another. And they each became sort of little churches, mm. little outposts. Kind of like
1: a little ho- home church. Kind of like, like a little home something. church, yeah.
0: house church network. Um, but they all gathered together on Sunday mornings, but everything else was done in these little communities. And that's, I think that's a, a good um, philosophy of ministry to be able to minister to the community that way. Um, But then they hosted what they called the gospel conference. Hmm. And the gospel conference, when you attended the gospel conference, it was all about how to do community. Hmm. And I sat there going, I thought this was about the gospel, not about doing community. Doing community is not the gospel. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Doing community is an effect of the gospel, it's an outpouring of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. And so oftentimes we have um we have results of the gospel that get elevated to gospel or get reverse engineered into the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so um so that's what it's yeah, it's the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah, and while we're on that topic, you know, maybe it's a good time to talk about gospel clarity and what is and isn't the gospel because if you've been in an abusive church, you probably have had a lot of law and other stuff worked back into the gospel without even noticing it. Um so maybe we can talk a little bit about what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. Yeah. Um I <laughs> I would I would start with The results of the gospel are not the gospel. You said that. Um, There are implications of the gospel that are not the gospel. And there's also the demands of the law, which are separate from the gospel, Mm -hmm. which contribute to our coming to the gospel, like repentance, Mm -hmm. like um, obedience. Those are things that are part of the law that are not in themselves part of the gospel. But the gospel itself... I would posit is like what Paul says in Corinthians is that Christ died, Christ rose, and Christ is coming again. Yeah. It's the work. I mean, gospel, by definition, it means good news, right? So Amen. it's news. Yep. It is good. Mm-hmm. And it is something that has been done, not something you do. Yes. And it's something Christ did for us. So it's news about it's the good news about Jesus yes that's that's the way I understand uh, what the gospel is Lance, your thoughts uh, yeah, I would
0: agree the um, the gospel is the simple message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as a payment for our sin and as a uh, act of reconciling us to our creator. It's it sounds, you go, well, that's too simple. Yeah, that's the point. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we make the gospel so complicated and it's frustrating, um, because the gospel is intended to be good news. That is not burdensome to people. Um, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, that He who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Second Corinthians five twenty one. And so, uh, anything outside of that, it's not particularly unbiblical. It might be very biblical. You teach teach doctrine, you teach obedience, you teach sanctification, you teach maturation, you teach faith, you teach all those things, uh, but they're not the gospel. Yeah. Right? The gospel is the simple fact that Jesus took a penalty that he did not deserve. He paid a debt that he did not owe. And he did that for us so that we can be reconciled to God. Amen.
1: And that's it. That's the gospel. And you mentioned Second Corinthians 5.21. There's two parts that's considered the great exchange, mm-hmm. right? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him, yeah. right? In him we become the righteousness of God. So it's two things. It's mercy and grace. It's forgiveness and righteousness. Amen. So it's not just forgiveness mm-hmm. because we, you and I have talked about this in the past, but forgiveness is wonderful, but it does not reconcile you to God apart from positive righteousness. Right. You You have to have... It just a clears righteousness the debt. it doesn't yeah yeah it clears your debt but it doesn't put any money in your bank account mm-hmm. like if you have to pay two million bucks and you're in debt two million bucks the forgiveness puts you at zero but you still need another two mil yeah. to pay so God actually gives us Christ's righteousness and his obedience yeah. is uh, during his life is accounted and credited to our account yes. so he kept the law perfectly. Where we mm-hmm. couldn't, Amen. so we get not only forgiveness but righteousness through the gospel, so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the the double imputation is what it's called, yep. um our sin is imputed to Christ, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Um,
0: congratulations on the use of a big word.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I've been, uh, saving that one for quite a while. So finally I get to bust it out I feel really uh, proud of myself. So yeah, me, I'd pat myself on the back, but my neck's kind of stiff right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking for
0: the verse in uh, in typical rants and revelations fashion, I can't find the, the this is just what we do. (laughs) This is how, how we roll. Um, but at, there's some point where Paul says, we proclaim Christ and him crucified. Like, that's yeah. the message of our – that's the thrust of our message. That's the message of the gospel. Yeah, it was, doesn't he,
1: he say, I crucified. purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him yeah, crucified? I think it's First Corinthians.
0: Yeah, that's, I'm in 1 yep. Corinthians looking for it like crazy, but I can't read and talk at the same time. That's so fair. I'm <laughs> so I, uh, I can't find it right now. But yeah, we purpose to know nothing but – Nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. And that's, yeah, that's what the, that's what should be put on display in every sermon. Mm -hmm. The sermon can be about other things. It can be about faith. It can be about obedience. It can be about uh, sanctification. It can be about glorification. It can be about whatever the case is. But in the course of that, sermon, if the gospel is not put forward, then I know people, see how I'm putting this on other people? I know people who would say that's not a sermon, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that that's the point of preaching is to proclaim the gospel. Yeah. I
1: would think Charles Spurgeon said, I've heard this quote from him somewhere, uh, no Christ in your sermon, sir, go home and never preach again until you have something valuable to say.
0: Amen. And I would say amen. <laughs> amen.
1: Or I may have botched part of the quote, but it's something like something that. Something like that, yes. um, But Spurgeon was right. Uh, and that goes to a point that I think if you've been in an unhealthy church, you've probably had some kind of pet doctrine emphasized um, that de-emphasizes by, by default, will de-emphasize the gospel. Mm-hmm. Or that the gospel, sort or it gets muddy to where it feels like if you don't believe this doctrine, you're not really saved. You don't believe the gospel. Right. So I've experienced that where it's like, oh, you don't believe in predestination? Well, you're probably not saved. It's like, where does the Bible say you have to believe in predestination to be you saved? You and I used to be those guys. We were. yeah. We were a hundred percent those guys. We judged people. Mm -hmm. We were, uh, yeah. Cage stage Calvinists. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we bought into that kind of stuff. And that type of, uh, emphasis is really poisonous to a church. Um, but sometimes it can be like you mentioned, sometimes the mission of the church Mm
2: -hmm.
1: can be emphasized at, to the exclusion of the gospel or to where the gospel is sort of a footnote to everything else. And that doesn't mean your leaders don't believe in the gospel. It doesn't mean the pastors have bad motives per se, but we need to hear the gospel as believers as much or more than we need. Well, not more than we needed to hear it as unbelievers, but just (laughs) as much as we needed to hear it before we were saved. As a believer, I need the gospel proclaimed to me every week.
0: Yeah, and and to be honest and to be fair in the life in the mind of a pastor, uh, particularly... Uh, like in my situation, for instance, um, while I have a plurality of elders, my elders all have full-time jobs on outside of the church, uh, so I'm the one preaching for probably 45 to f- to 47 Sundays out of the year, mm. right? And there's the like, I got to say something different. I've been saying the same thing every time. And like, we feel this need to like, I got to say something different. I got to say something different. I got to say something different. Yeah, Or to be relevant.
1: And to be speak relevant, to, to be whatever.
0: Current, but there's nothing yeah. more relevant than the gospel. Yeah. And there never has been in history anything more relevant yeah. than the gospel. And the gospel speaks to all of our current events. Mm-hmm. The gospel speaks to all of our current um, – Frustrations as believers, the things in society that we're frustrated about, Mm. the gender identity issues, and the when does life start, and the definition of marriage, and the and uh, you know, racial reconciliation, all the things that are out there. The gospel speaks to all that stuff, yeah. You know, and there's nothing more relevant than the gospel. And when we try to get too cute and we try to get too clever, uh, then we miss the power is the gospel, mm. right? Romans 1, 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power mm-hmm. of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. What I love is that Greek word that is translated into English as power mm. is dynamis. Mm-hmm. It's the dynamite. Mm-hmm. And so I always, I like to say to my congregation, the gospel is the dynamite of God. Mm. It is is the explodes into your life and just, you know, uh, changes everything. And, um, yeah, so, yeah. So the gospel is, is the most relevant message we can have.
1: Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, I could do a whole episode on this and just, or maybe a whole series on it and just enjoy every second of it. But for the sake of, uh, kind of getting through a, a bigger list, I think we've spoken pretty well to the gospel. Yeah. Um. Another thing I would posit would be really helpful at a church you're looking for is to find kind and loving leaders, leaders who love people, not just doctrine and Jesus. Yeah. Um. Because a shepherd, a good shepherd, loves the sheep, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. the chief shepherd. Right. Um. So yeah, Lance, what what are your thoughts on that? Being a pastor yourself and having a flock that you oversee.
0: Um when, when, uh, Jesus was resurrected and, you know, before, uh, during the, the night of the crucifixion, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. Right. And then, uh, Jesus raises from the dead and, uh, he's found to be on the beach, uh, cooking some fish and Peter and the other guys are out in the boat and they're fishing and they realize all of a sudden that that's Jesus on the shore. Mm. And so, Peter, being Peter, uh, jumps off the, <laughs> jumps over the edge of the boat, swims to the shore and is like so happy to, to see Jesus. And and it's the, the beautiful picture of this reconciliation between Peter who denied Jesus three times and now Jesus pursuing Peter. And he says, uh, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, Peter says, you know that Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep, right? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. Why do you keep asking me if I love you? Then feed my sheep. So I would offer that you can't love Jesus without loving his sheep. Well put. Uh, That's what he's telling Peter is, if you love me, you're going to feed the sheep. Hmm. And so that's a, you know, who you say the, the statement here says, leaders who love people, not just doctrine in Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's possible. You can't love Jesus and not love people.
1: Not truly. Not truly possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if people tell you that they're lying to you, they can't yeah. love Jesus and not love people. Yeah. And, and over and over and over again, the pastoral epistles, Timothy, Titus, all of those, it's all about feeding the sheep, shepherding the flock, caring for people. Uh, people are involved in every epistle. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about caring for people. Philemon is about reconciling with with a you know a slave who has stolen something from his master, hmm. uh, you know John is about first first second and third John are all about you know loving one another and caring for those who are underprivileged. You know uh, uh, Timothy and Titus are obviously about pastoral care and shepherding, and it's all about people. And so you can't get you can't divorce people from loving. God and loving Jesus, Mm. you can't. And so um, loving people is biblical leadership. And I believe that Jesus calls us to love him by loving Mm. others. And so that would be my...
1: Yeah, I love that. And what comes to mind for me while you're talking is uh, that Jesus said no greater love has anyone than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. And he also says, it's somewhere near the end of John, again, addresses evade me. Um, this is the work of God that you believe in his son and that you love one another. Mm-hmm. And that's what First John mm-hmm. re-states. This, this is
0: how they know
1: you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Yeah, that you love one another. Yeah. And that's not just for people who are attending church that that's for leadership as well. And, and if anything, leadership should be setting the pace for that yes. within the church. Yes.
0: Um, leaders who are asking you to do something that they themselves are not willing to do are Pharisees. Preach. Jesus said, they tell you to do this, this, and this, and they don't even, they don't even do that stuff. And Jesus' harshest rebukes were for Pharisees and religious leaders who were not loving their people, but who were laying burdens on their backs. And that's that's where the that's where the the angry Jesus, the righteous indignation of Jesus, came out, mm-hmm. is in those moments and aimed at those people. Um, I don't want to be on that side of. Jesus's personality. Yeah. uh, Not a good time. Yeah. So I think that we want to avoid pharisaical leadership.
1: Amen. Absolutely. And I'm sure if you've been in an abusive church, you've experienced enough of that that you may actually be somewhat hypervigilant and somewhat like hypersensitive to it, which can be a good thing. But we'll get into that more next episode when we talk about... Uh, the walking wounded and what the after effects of coming out of a abusive situation can be um, so to keep us rolling along another so we've taught we've talked about the gospel being central to the uh, the life of the church and the preaching ministry of, of, a, of a healthy church we've talked about leaders who um, are, Dedicated not only to doctrine in Christ, but also to their people and who actually love people and set a good example of loving people. Um, another element of a healthy church is that there's actually accountability for leadership. Uh, not that we need to have some kind of tribunal where the pastor is constantly being, uh, you know, scrutinized on, in an ungodly way, but that there is a properly functioning elder board or equivalent of some kind and ideally a connection to some kind of denomination though the denomination part, it, it all kind of depends. There's lots of different like ecclesiastical structures within the different denominations. So that is more of a tenuous one, but I think, well, I, I mean, I sit here as a pastor of a non-denominational church. So, uh, (laughs) but you guys are connected to a, a, Some kind of a
0: sort of, but not in any
1: sort of, um, not in any sort of oversight sort of way. Yeah,
0: so yeah,
1: Yeah, so that's why I'm hedging a little bit with the (laughs) the denomination. One can be helpful, but it can also be not as meaningful. Mm -hmm. So it just depends. So yeah, speak to that, Lance. I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: Well, on the accountability part, I mean, I think that that is the that is one of the protections of. Jumping on a soapbox and getting into pet doctrine and getting into, you know, those sorts of leader leadership uh, traps. That, uh, by the way, we're all all leaders are prone to. Um, is having other men around you who see it happening, um, and can call you out on it and say, "Hey, that's," you know, and you know, Jeff, Jeff, uh, in our last episode or maybe. T- mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was the first part one or part two of our, of our episodes, but we were talking about a plurality of elders in this first among equals idea and that they really are equals. And so those men and their discernment carry as much weight in my life as mine does in theirs. Right. And so when they come to me and they say, Hey, you've been focused on this too much lately, or you've been, you know, you're going down this trap or you're, you know, um, I need to take that. I need to take that seriously Hmm. and not just, you know, not run them out or fire, you know, or fire, get fired up and argue with them or whatever the, whatever the case is, I need to receive those things humbly and, and, uh, and work towards, (laughs) work towards them. But, um, and that's, that's what, you know, having a plurality of, of elders sort of saves you from that. Um, yeah, I feel I feel for church planters who sometimes don't have those men in place yet. Mm-hmm. They desire that, but they don't have it in place yet because the the temptation to fall into these leadership traps um, is pretty pretty high, mm. and if you don't have people watching out for you, um, it can be pretty easy to fall into some of those things.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. Uh, I, I would imagine, especially if you're a church planter and you don't have the guys in place yet, it could be overwhelming. All of the different things that you're trying to focus on and that your preaching ministry could take a backseat to trying to coordinate. Um,
0: yeah, and I, I will I will say, um, I feel like I was brought up in a church culture that put a high emphasis on preaching the word. And I'm not by the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't <laughs> have a high emphasis on preaching the word, but I entered I entered ministry, thinking that that was my number one priority. 15 years into ministry, it's not even number two. Hmm. Being there for my people and being there for my family are two things that rise above preaching a sermon.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. in my ministry.
0: And so when I came into ministry with the elevation of preaching as the supreme role of a pastor, um... I I neglected hospital visits. I neglected whatever because this was my prep time. Mm. This is my sermon prep time and nothing can interrupt my sermon prep time, you know. And there's an old saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I had heard that a bunch of times and it didn't impact me. But I was at a conference one time and the man said... People will forget, sorry, people will remember you being there for them long after they've forgotten your best sermon. Hmm. And that one, how he said the same thing. They don't know how much, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's basically yeah. what he said. But the, when he worded it that way, that was like light bulb moment. And my philosophy of ministry shifted. Hmm. And so, uh, being there for my people, being there for my family, if I don't, if I'm not there for my family, if I don't have my family in order and I don't have good control over my family and lead my household well, I'm disqualified. Hmm. That's one of the qualifications of an elder in first Timothy two and in Titus one. Yeah. Uh, those are the qualifications. And so if I'm not, if I don't have my house in order and I'm not investing into my family, and I don't have believing children, it says, then I'm disqualified. Hmm. So, turns out preaching isn't the most important thing I do. Hmm. Don't get me wrong, it's important, but it's not, it's not my primary focus in ministry anymore. Hmm. Shepherding people, feeding the sheep, feeding the lambs, that's my primary focus, and those lambs include my family, and so that's where... That's where the, the sort of ranking system, has come, and so yeah,
1: that makes total sense. Priorities, priorities, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah. And it's not that I don't. I still devote, you know, roughly thirty-five hours a week of study to preparing a sermon.
1: So just a little bit.
0: <laughs> so you know, um, it's not like it's not important to me. I'm also called to rightly divide the word of truth and to do it with authority and with confidence. And so, yes, that, you know, but, um, I will break away from a study sesh to go to the hospital, uh, every day of the week, because that's where, that's where the real ministry is. That's where real shepherding Mm. is, you know, you can't shepherding is done individually, not in a, not in a flock. You oversee the flock, but you shepherd sheep mm. right, and so um my role as a as a shepherd is to be there for them individually when they
1: when they need me mm.
0: and uh, that's my number one priority
1: yeah, well, that kind of goes back to the previous point of uh loving well, people yeah, just... actually loving people um more than doctrine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it sort of exemplifies that priority structure, what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. So I, I love that. I think that's great. And yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't mean that the word or the preaching ministry is unimportant, but those other areas need to be in place first. Yeah. For yeah. the preaching ministry my,
0: to my flourish. Preaching became more effective. When that priority shifted, Mm. people cared more about what I was saying in my sermon when I had sat at the hospital with them earlier that week Mm. and prayed with their family in the waiting room as they were in surgery or whatever. Yeah. Um, They were more prone to tune their ears to what, um, you know, what I was saying from the pulpit when they knew how much I cared, then they cared how much I knew. Yeah. You know.
1: And speaking of preaching, so we've talked about the gospel being central, kind and loving leaders, uh, some kind of accountability for leaders, and um, a biblical pulpit ministry. Mm -hmm. So kind of, we've discussed some of the priorities that are behind that. So we're, we're not... Saying that the pulpit ministry is more important than the care and um, you know oversight of the flock right. or the tending of the sheep, if you will, but but having a pulpit ministry that actually preaches the word has a clear gospel presentation and fits your theological leanings. I'm going to put that in there as a side note. Um, to some extent, that may change as you find a certain church. It, yeah. You're probably going to be morphed more towards what the Bible, the goal is not to find someone who agrees with you on every point of doctrine. The, the, right. the point is to find someone who's actually preaching the word and then yeah. God will, you know, grow us all together. But if you're, hardcore dispensational you're probably not going to want to go to a covenantal church so there are certain things there that may not you are going to turn you off even if they have an otherwise um, otherwise pretty good preaching ministry so that's where I think about with that one
0: yeah I think that's I think that's fair I again I think uh, t- to kind of reiterate on the the uh, your theological leanings. Like it's good to be challenged. It's good to be challenged in what you believe. Amen. Yeah. Um, I try. So this is, this is bottom of my priority list, but it's on my list. (laughs) Um, I try to interact with scholars who I know I'm going to disagree with. When I'm preaching a passage, for instance, like I'm preaching through Hebrews right now, I've got five or six, commentaries that I go to that I trust and respect the men who wrote those commentaries. And then I have one in my library who I probably am not going to agree with very much. This is that Richard Simmons commentary. (laughs) Richard
1: Simmons commentary.
0: Uh, But I I want to interact with that when I can um, to be challenged in my thinking, to make sure that I am able to defend – my point to make sure that I'm able to accurately represent the other mm-hmm. beliefs.
1: You're not attacking a straw man. I'm not
0: attacking a straw man. Uh, but again, that's, that's low on my priority level. Like if, if I don't have time that week, that that's not something I'm going to like stay up until f- 5 a.m. to do. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's like, yeah. it's just, it's just not. Uh, but I do, I do feel the, the, um, the draw to interact with guys that I know I'm not going to agree with just to sharpen and hone Mm. the truth, you know, um, and to be challenged. There's some, there's some things where I've, you know, I've clicked one click right or left (laughs) depending on whatever, uh, in my thinking, because they've convinced me that, Mm. that this is, that I was thinking about it wrong or that I was, you know, um, you know, we've talked about our cage stage Calvinism. Mm. Uh, we've we've shifted
1: on that mm, very least, much so. At yeah. least
0: on how that fleshes out in our relationships with others, mm. <laughs> we've shifted.
1: And and what kind of a priority we give to those doctrines exactly. in, in relation to the gospel
0: exactly. And so that that kind of stuff has has changed in us, and it changed in me over being challenged by people that I didn't particularly agree with at the time uh but I was challenged by them and so I moved in a direction that I believe is more biblical now uh but that's because I was willing to ch- to interact with men that I didn't that I didn't agree with hmm. you know so um I'm not saying we should be moved in everything there are some things we shouldn't be moved in ever you know I'll never I, I vow to never not believe in the virgin birth and the, you know the uh, atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf and all of that kind of stuff. Those are not us. Those are non um, negotiables. Yeah. Um, but man, I want to interact with a series of different thoughts on pretty much every other doctrine there is out there just to
1: just to make sure that I'm mm. believing correctly. You know. Yeah, and a side note on this for people coming out of a uh, an abusive church you may need to do I don't you want to call it deconstructing you may do, need to do some reconstructing of your theological beliefs anyhow so if you're coming if you're real fresh out of a, an abusive church i think the, one of the reasons i put this the good fit for your theological leanings sort of further down on the list is just because i think a lot of the other Elements of a healthy church take a lot higher priority than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found a lot of healing at a church that I disagree with several things that they believe. I, I'm not a Pedo baptist I, I was raised, you know, Duncan folks and, like <laughs> you know, Amen. a, a uh, credo-baptist, and I still believe that. And I go to a reformed church that... They believe in paedo-baptism, and it's not part of my DNA as a Christian, but they're great people, and I've learned a lot there. And they love Jesus, and they love people. Um, and, you know, they, they celebrate Lent. I don't really see that in the scriptures. I'm not saying it's evil or anything. I just don't really participate in that. Right, um, but it's every year that's something that they do. But again, I've learned so much from being a part of that church, um, and God's grown me in ways that I think only I probably only in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I'm sure there's some other churches I could have gone to that would have been good too. Sure. But God's used that church to grow me in ways that I don't know that I would have grown if I'd have tried to find a place that fit every single conviction. That I had at the time I got out.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, those things that you mentioned, baptism, um, Lent, whatever, those are all tertiary sort Mm -hmm. of issues um, that, well, baptism in this case, there are people who believe you have to be baptized to be saved. That's not a tertiary issue anymore. That's a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. That's a non-negotiable issue. That's not biblical. Right yeah um but um, but the, in the case of what you're talking about, it's it's not a gospel issue, and so right. you can you can uh, go to a church like that, you can submit yourself to the leadership of a church like that and be ministered to, be healed, and be led um, into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ in a church where you don't agree with everything, mm-hmm. but you know they're focused on the gospel and they're committed to the gospel, you know. And that's why gospel prominence is is so important, Mm -hmm. because uh, that's where we find our unity.
1: Amen. You know, so. And um, it's funny, because we're really talking ourselves out of this point the more we talk about it. It (laughs) sounds (laughs) like we've done everything we can to to disavow this point, and I think maybe that's what we should do uh, a little bit, because the more I think about it, if I had tried to find a church that fit my theological leanings at the time I got out of, uh, Pastor Tom's church, they would have taught some weird stuff. Well, you potentially could be jumping
0: out of the frying pan and into the fire. Yes. Right. Um, because you were, um, not shepherded well in what should be important. Mm -hmm. And so... You had ideas in your mind of what doctrines were elevated and which ones weren't. And if you – and typically, the, uh, the doctrines that abusers make important uh, are typically the doctrines that other abusers are going to make important. Hmm. Right? And so, so you, if you're coming out of that, there does need to be, like you said, a reconstruction of what's important – What's, you know, in the theological triage, uh, how, where, where it lands in the theological triage. So Mm -hmm. in other words, you know, three tiers of, you've got the non-negotiables, you've got, uh, issues that, um, we can go to the same church, we can serve together, um, I can submit myself to your leadership, uh, but we don't, we don't agree um, you couldn't, let's say you have to sign off on a certain set of doctrines to say, be an elder. Um, but to be a church member would be no problem. And then, and then there's the, the third tier issues that are just like, you know, whether we sing hymns or praise songs or whatever, you know, like. Yeah. The, accoutrement, and, the accoutrement. The stuff. Yeah. You know, how often, how often you do the Lord's Supper, um, those types of things that those are super tertiary, just preference mm-hmm. sort of things. Um, in that, in that first layer, I'm not going to partner with you in anything ministry wise. Uh, in that second layer, I can partner with you, but we can't, but I can't serve t- together on the same leadership team. Huh. Right. And then third tier issues we can serve together and we can, you know, whatever. So you got to figure out what those what those things are.
1: Yeah, and part of it might even be, depending on where you're at in your walk and where you're at, um, coming out of an abusive context is creating those categories. Yeah. Because I know in my situation, our abusive pastor equalized everything yeah, with the everything gospel. everything was a first-tier issue. Right, there were no second or third-tier issues. Yeah. Everything was gospel. Yeah. And there's lots of problems with that. And we've alluded to what the, the antidote for that is, rather than focusing on the problem, is gospel centrality, I think. And, and that's why we started with that, is because the gospel and the, the pure biblical gospel is really the heart of Christianity. It's that, like Paul said, it. I know it's 1 Corinthians. I don't know the address, but he said I. Hold these things to be of first importance: that Christ died according to the scriptures; mm-hmm. that He, He was raised according to the scriptures. And
0: I can point you to
1: chapter fifteen, okay? But I can't
0: give you the verse, but it's in chapter. 15. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he,
1: he says this is of first importance: yeah. these, the reality of Christ's work for you. Yes. To nutshell it, um, that is a first tier issue. Mm-hmm. That is the, the first tier issue. issue. Yeah. Yes. So making the gospel central to our walk and our, um, our fellowship and our interaction with other doctrines is massively, massively freeing
2: mm-hmm. and
1: liberating because mm-hmm. it frees us up to not get hung up on secondary and tertiary issues and to focus on what Paul, uh, Peter, all the apostles and Christ himself put forth as the central reality of the Christian faith, which is the gospel itself and Christ.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So not just the information, the doctrine about the gospel, but but the relational side of that, which is Christ in you, the hope mm-hmm. of glory. Mm-hmm. You being connected and united with Christ yeah. and Christ being at the center of our walk.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's the, I think one of the... Um, One of the ways that I was that I was raised, I went to a church for a while that was very um, unwilling to partner with any other church, even like-minded mm. churches. Uh, we don't. What if? What if they would tell me I was a, a youth, you know, guy? What if you partner with that church and they like that youth group better? They're gonna go over there instead of come here, Hmm. and I'm like, all right, whatever, you know. Like, (laughs) I, I, you know, that's. I don't want to get on a rabbit trail of why I don't agree with that. Um, But that was kind of instilled in me. It was instilled in me that each church fought hard to grow their own church. It doesn't even have to be like a kingdom for the. It's not the pastor seeking his own glory or his own kingdom, but but you're fighting hard to keep the people that you have <laughs> and get new people uh, to come into your church building and into your walls. And so, therefore, we don't partner with anybody else because uh, if we do, they might make French friends or they might uh, there might be something about that church that draws those people away to go over to the This
1: is kind of like church. a church growth philosophy.
0: Yes, or even a a philosophy of ministry that was just sustenance, you know, church sustenance.
1: Okay, gotcha.
0: (laughs) Whatever. It wasn't even about growth so much as it was about limiting attrition and that sort of a thing. Gotcha. Right. And uh, then I started on staff at the church where I am now, where I serve now. And my father-in-law was the pastor before me. And he invited me to go to a, a every Wednesday, he would invite me to go at noon to a prayer meeting with other pastors in the city. And I was like, already, I was like, that's weird. Hmm. <laughs> you know, um, Because the church culture that I had come from, you weren't partnering with other people. Hmm. So he, he invited me to go to this prayer meeting. And so on the way there... I was like, are these all like, like, tell me about this group. What is it? And he goes, oh, there's, uh, this guy pastors, the Foursquare square church and this guy pastors, the assemblies of God church. And this guy pastors, pastors, the Baptist church. And this guy pastors the, you know, the non-denominational church down the street and, you know, whatever. And it was all these guys that weren't denominationally linked, weren't even theologically linked but they were linked by the gospel and unified by the gospel. Hmm. And these, we still, I'm still involved in this group to this day, 15 years later, uh, gathered together and we pray for our city. We pray for people to come to know Jesus. We pray for the other churches in our city. We pray for for the success of outreaches that other churches are having. We pray for... Uh, for each other hmm. and our the fa- our faithfulness in marriage and our faithfulness to the gospel and our faithfulness to our people um, and we just pray for each other and we're friends and we've joined together, and, and now we even have an organization that we call, uh, why, yeah, I don't want to say the name because it has our city name in it, but mm. <laughs> we have an organization where we serve our community together. There's nine churches mm. uh, that range from Assemblies of God to Baptist to non-denominational to, you know, uh, Foursquare. square. Uh, so, we would, we would disagree in a lot of areas. We yeah. agree on the gospel, and we're partnering together to make our city a better place. And I believe that that's the picture of Christ's church of, of the bride of Christ, Mm. uh, because we all believe in the gospel. None of those people believe that it's gospel plus anything, Mm. right? They just simply believe in Jesus and him crucified and buried and risen again. Mm. All the other stuff doesn't really matter in regards to our partnership to serve our city
1: and to proclaim the gospel. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's beautiful. That sounds really encouraging too. It must be a great, it sounds like just the way you talk about it, it sounds like a meeting you look forward to.
0: It is. It is the red letter day on my calendar. Like it's the, the highlighted mm. day. Um, because, and the, the truth is that most of the guys in that uh, meeting we're all kind of solo staff guys. We have elders who are uh, non-staff elders who work outside of the church. You know, they work in the quote-unquote real world. (laughs) Mm. And um, so we're the only guy, we're the only like staff, we're solo staff, they call them. So like for me, I'm the only guy on the payroll, right? Uh, My other two elders are volunteers, they're lay elders. um, And so they're not readily... As readily available to me to bounce ideas off of. Hey, what do you think about this or that? Or you know, should we do this service? Should we should we do a Christmas Eve service? How, do you do a you know like do you do a Christmas yeah. Eve service? We've never done a Christmas Eve service. Should we do a Christmas Eve service? Um, That's sort of a thing that you might guys in bigger churches who have other staff, associate pastors, and things like that. They might do that amongst themselves. Mm. We do that in that group. Hmm. You know? And so it's a it's been a really encouraging um time to go and to be uh to become friends with other pastors in the city and to know that they're not my competition, they're on my team. Hmm. We're on the same team. Yeah. You know, Amen. we're on team gospel. And yeah. <laughs> and um I think I think that might be something that we didn't really have in our in our outline. Mm-hmm. But a church that doesn't view itself as the only, you know, as the only game in town. Amen to that. To be able to partner with other churches and say there's good things happening in other churches around our city. And we have, I'm, I'm unashamed about joining with a more charismatic, people that lean more charismatic than I do. I'm unashamed about joining with them in serving our community and in proclaiming the gospel with them together. Mm. I have no, I have no problem with it at all.
1: Amen. Great point. And yeah, let's camp on that for a second there, because if you've been in an abusive church, there almost always is an us versus them mentality that is propagated and partnering with other churches is something that would be just nigh impossible At least it was in the context I came from. Mm -hmm. There was no... The only way we were going to partner with another church is if we were going to take it over. Mm -hmm. Like, that was it. Like, they wanted to let us come in and have Pastor Tom become the pastor and all of us, you know, become the main thing going on in the church, then fine. But other than that, no way. So what a contrast that is, Mm -hmm. right, to what you're talking about, which is because we're not we're not working secondary and tertiary issues back into the gospel working the law back into the gospel working predestination election whatever
0: yeah but even spiritual tongues or right. gifts or whatever like anything mm-hmm.
1: like that it's not being
0: you know elevated to the level of gospel mm-hmm. and for us if we can agree on the gospel we can do lots of things together, and I think we're more—I think we're more effective together than we are trying to fight for our own autonomous sort of ministry. You know, Amen. So, um, you know, multiple of Paul's epistles are addressed to the churches of Galatia, mm. to the churches uh, in. Thessalonica. You know, like those types of things. There's there's plurality of churches that Paul has written his letter to, giving them all the same instructions, you know. And uh, the expectation is that those churches are working together. They're meeting in separate places because that's geographically and, and you know, it's just sort of logistically what has to take place, but we don't. We view ourselves. We often actually refer to ourselves as the Church of Simi Valley, mm. and uh, so we we refer to ourselves as the Church of Simi Valley. We don't say that I'm. You know, there's 17 churches in Simi Valley. We say there's there's a church in Simi Valley mm. that has 17 different outposts <laughs> yeah. of of the church. But we're willing to, you know, we're willing to to consider all of them our brothers and our partners in the gospel. Um, there's far more, there's far more churches than 17. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but only, it's a fun number. Yeah. No, but I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying there's churches that we wouldn't consider to be part. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. churches. I'm not saying everybody who calls themselves church gets to be in the group. You gotcha. Know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, the qualification they, is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't believe in the gospel or you add something to the gospel or you take something away from the gospel or whatever, then you don't believe the gospel anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you're not, we can't partner with you.
1: And the reason, obviously, I mean, just to throw this out there, the reason that's so important is because of what Paul says in Galatians, that if anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel than the one we've preached, let it's him anathema. be anathema. Yeah. Let him be cursed. cursed. And... Those the, some of the strongest language Paul uses in all of scripture, but they were adding law back into the gospel, mm-hmm. specifically circumcision, but it could be anything mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be circumcision, mm-hmm. they're adding law back into the gospel um that's that is the not good yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the church of the not good. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that is not, it doesn't work. So, yeah. it, what we ended, what we set out to do today is to have a, uh episode about finding a healthy church. And what we ended up with is an episode about gospel centrality,
0: which I think synonymous.
1: is pretty much synonymous.
0: Yeah, you can't have a healthy church without having gospel centrality. Amen. If there's, If there is a group of people gathered together centered around anything but the gospel they are not a church.
1: Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the gospel just to to break this down to another level just a little bit. We're not just talking about the doctrine, we're talking about Jesus. Amen. We're talking about the person the work of Christ. And person of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. The person and work of Jesus yes. is central to yes. the the lifeblood of the church. Yes. Um so we can't talk about the gospel without t- without it being Jesus because Jesus is the gospel. Amen. Amen. So uh, yeah. don't hear us putting this forth as a doctrinal issue primarily it no. is a it is a a life in Christ issue. Yes, it's a personal relationship issue. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I feel like more that's,
0: importantly his desire to have a relationship with us. Yeah. More than our desire to have a relationship with him.
1: Amen, because right. if it was up to me, I would never yeah. have a relationship with him.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, so um yeah, we cannot divorce the gospel from Jesus Christ. That's that's what mm-hmm. the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Right. You know, and so um, I just uh, I think that you cannot have if there if a church like I said a minute ago if the church is centered around anything but the gospel it's not a church mm-hmm. because the 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 term church what we get is uh, the idea of the bride of the bride of Christ. Mm. And so, if you're not centered around Christ, then you're not the bride of Christ. Amen. And if you're not the bride of Christ, then you're not a church. Mm -hmm. You're just a gathering of people. And um, in order for a church to even be a church, it has to be uh, centered around the gospel. And I think as the the gospel take hold, all of these other things that we've talked about, kind and loving leaders— Leaders that are held accountable, biblical pulpit ministry, all of that is trickle down Amen. effect of the gospel taking hold in the life of the leaders and of the of the body of believers that is gathered in that particular location.
1: Hmm. So Amen. Yeah, Christ's centrality to the life of the church and the gospel centrality to the health of the church leads to all these things. Being in the proper order. Yes. In the proper place. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah the, the the like I said, the preaching ministry being viewed in its proper priority and proper context, all of that comes from realizing that Jesus first and foremost loved people. Right? He mm-hmm. first well, he first and foremost loved his father and came to do the will of his father. And in that he loved people along the way. And, uh, as he said, greater love is no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. So the greatest act of love in the history of the world is Jesus taking death, becoming obedient to death, even to death mm-hmm. on a cross. And that is the, the greatest act of love that has ever been done. And that's what we center around. Mm-hmm. And if that's not the focus of the church that you're going to, uh,
1: then you need to find another church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul says in Colossians 1.28, I actually have an address on this one. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we might present every man mature in Christ, in Christ. or perfect, depending on how you render that sure. word in Greek. Um, Paul viewed maturity of the church, the maturity of believers as hinging on the preaching of Christ mm-hmm. and the, our understanding of how we're related to Christ, how we're united with Christ and all of the riches that we have in Christ first and foremost, mm-hmm. and everything else flows out of that. Amen. So that, yeah, it's not just us having, you know, wishful thinking or um, wanting to kind of force the gospel into the center. Paul, you know, and yeah. the other apostles in Christ, they they put they put Jesus at the center. Yeah, because without Christ, without Christ, what is Christianity? Yeah, it's, it's just it's anity. Just anity. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple more things here I'd like to get into. These are things that a, a healthy church will practice because of their focus and love for Christ and people. One is uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Mm-hmm. Those are things that a good, healthy church will, the tru- will practice. The two
0: sacraments that Christ uh, commanded us to obey mm-hmm. um, and that the scriptures command us to obey in out of reverence for Christ. Uh, and these can be done in different, um, different methods, different modes. I don't know how you want to say that. Uh, for instance, um, having gone to to church a for so many years, uh, the Lord's supper was observed once a month. Um, the church that I currently pastor, we do it every Sunday. Uh, I know churches that do it once a quarter, you know, whatever the, whatever the case is, um, I can, I, I can do a, another episode on why I think it should be done every Sunday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, whatever the case is, it needs to be observed on a regular schedule, Mm -hmm. whether that's once a quarter, once a month, once a week. um, It needs to be observed on a regular schedule. It is how uh, Jesus has called us to remember his sacrifice on the cross for us. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup— I like that word often, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I liken the Lord's Supper, it's to, It's it's a time to look back, right? You proclaim the Lord's death, but it's also a time to look forward mm-hmm. until he comes. And so at, at this simultaneous moment in our worship service, we are simultaneously looking back and looking forward. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we do that. We do that on a weekly basis in our church, uh, but it's a looking back and a looking forward, and it just focuses our heart on Christ. Um, our our worship service is laid out. It's oriented so that that is sort of the fulcrum. We build up to that. We do that, and then there's a sermon, and there's whatever, and then we we go home. But that's that's the apex of our. We view that as the apex of mm. our worship service. Um, the Lord's Supper, yeah,
1: and from a Reformed perspective, um, Reformed, a classic or a confessional Reformed perspective on the Lord's Supper and baptism is that they're they're in addition to being um, reminders that they're actually a means of grace; mm-hmm. they're actually a way that we receive from the Lord Mm -hmm. something something that's somewhat mysterious Um, we don't understand exactly how the bread and the cup are Christ's body and blood Um, but there's some there's some mystery there and there's a sense in which we're coming to church not to give something to God Mm -hmm. but to receive from him Mm -hmm. because we need him Mm -hmm. he does not need us Mm -hmm. But he wants us, Mm -hmm. which is unfathomably amazing. Amen. But we come to receive from the Lord and we come to receive that bread and that cup because we're needy sinners who he has made saints. Amen. Uh,
0: If I can take a little side trip, something you just said, um, I want to wholeheartedly agree with that we don't come to church to bring something to God, but to receive from God. But we do... Come together to serve each other, Amen, and to bring something to the table in service of each other. Um, but it's not that we're bringing something to God; He He's the giver uh, of all good things, right? Amen. Yeah, and yeah. every good and perfect gift comes from Him, and uh, even the things that we give to other people are things that He's given us to give away, mm. right? <laughs> and so it's, but but yes, you don't come to church to bring something to God or to offer something to God, but to receive from him and the receiving from him sometimes gets redistributed out amongst uh, the people that you're gathered with
1: and are serving. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah, that's a good addition. Uh, And then
0: baptism too has different practices, obviously, um, you know, whether it's, uh, as you mentioned paleo baptism or infant baptism or its uh, believers baptism but even in that there's different ways of doing it there's mm. sprinkling there's immersion right uh, even in the immersion side of things there's uh, there's uh, once we do we do once backwards mm. uh, but the brethren denomination does three times forward mm. They do three times, once in the name of the Father, once in the name of the Son, once in the name of the Holy Spirit.
1: <laughs> they dunk hard. They dunk hard,
0: you know. So they uh, they go uh, they go triplicate in that <laughs> in that regard. And uh, fine. Mm-hmm. I don't you know, there's no there's no prescription of what that looks mm-hmm. like in Yeah, and in our scripture. troops, they
1: sprinkle. Yeah. You know, or
0: yeah. Wipe. Wipe, whatever you,
1: know, you want to yeah. call it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um yeah and again, you know maybe the same thing I could do with with the Lord's Supper I could do with baptism, why I think immersion is the right form uh, mm-hmm. at some point, but that's not the point right now right um but baptism being exercised as a means of grace as well mm-hmm. is uh is a
1: key to monitoring the health of a church, you know absolutely, and there's something really. Symbolic and somewhat mystical about baptism also mm-hmm. in that it's a remembrance and a, a symbol of our united, our being united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um But there's also something mysterious about it in that, I mean, it's not necessary for salvation, so hear me, I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, the thief on the cross was never baptized, so... There's always that, you know, I mean, he was baptized in the spirit, but he was never baptized with water. Yeah. And Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise mm-hmm. to him. Uh, so hear me, I'm not teaching baptismal regeneration, okay. but um, there's something very special about baptism Absolutely. that I think we can look back to our baptism and say, hey, yeah, you know, I was baptized. Yeah. I was, I've been immersed into Christ, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, and and I think that there's a, uh, you know, the fact that baptism is um, prescribed to us as being a public thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Let me ask you, uh, on your left hand, on your fourth finger, you have a piece of jewelry
1: on there. What does that indicate? Yeah, I, I am married to someone. You
0: are married to someone, mm-hmm. and and that ring lets everybody else who sees your hand know that you are married mm. to someone. It's a proclamation of your commitment to your wife, right? That's what that's what one of the things the baptism is. It's a proclamation of my commitment. It's my ring. If I there was a time a uh, long time ago, this is my second ring. Because my first ring I lost in the ocean. Mm. And before we were able to get this ring, I went ringless, right? Well, does that mean I'm not married? No. I'm still married. Right. <laughs> and I'm still bound to the commitments of marriage that I made in my vows, right? Uh, and so if I'm not baptized, does that mean I'm not a believer? No. I'm still a believer and I'm still bound to the commitments <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that I made uh, in in my vows in, in my covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, but the, the baptism is the public declaration of that reality mm. and that it, you know, that I belong to him and that I've been mm. immersed in him. And you, like you said, it carries the, I use Romans 6 when I baptize people, you know, that you're dead to the old self and risen to walk in newness of life. Mm. And uh, that's the symbolic nature of what that, uh, what that represents, but also the grace that is given to us. It's a means of grace, and the mm-hmm. grace that is given to us in Christ Jesus Amen, uh, is for us to remember that,
1: too. Amen. You know. Yeah, so a healthy church will baptize and administer the Lord's Supper, both as sacraments, both as... Some as means of grace, some, some churches don't view them as means of grace, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not gonna camp on that, but they will be practiced at a, at a healthy yes. church. Yeah. Whether it's it's a memorial, whether it's a remembrance, whether it's a means of grace, they, they'll be practiced. Yes. Um, another thing that a healthy church will do is practice church discipline, mm-hmm. but not in the way that an abusive church practices church discipline. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference between that, because this, this can be a scary one to someone who's coming out of an abusive church, I think, yeah. um, because I know I saw church discipline... Abused mm-hmm. where when you disagreed with Pastor Tom mm-hmm. and you left the church, you got, you know, lambasted and then you got disfellowshipped. And what disfellowship meant was that everyone was going to be told that you were dangerous, you were to be shunned, you were to be regarded as a goat, a yeah. uh, rebellious person, a factious person because you, you know, rose up against the Lord's anointed. Yes. That is not biblical church discipline. Correct, Lance. Take us away. <laughs> I know you have thoughts. Um,
0: I do, and first of all, you know we the the idea of church discipline or the the understanding of church discipline comes from Matthew eighteen, mm-hmm. and the instructions there are that if a brother is in sin, you go to him personally first, um, confront him on that sin. If he fails to repent, you take two or three others with you, confront him again. If he fails to repent, then you bring the elders into the mix <laughs> and you confront him with the leadership of the church. And then if he or she fails to repent, uh, then you bring them before the church and um, and ex- they're excommunicated from the fellowship. Uh, that's That's prescribed to us in Matthew hmm. chapter 18. Um, when I have preached through that idea before, uh, I've had people come to me afterwards and say, why is that not done here? Why is that not done in our church? Well, do you, you realize that like 99% of church discipline is rectified before it goes to the congregation? Hmm. It doesn't mean – so if if you're sitting in a church that's never brought anybody forward and excommunicated them, that doesn't mean that they're not doing church discipline. Right. Right? Because church discipline has a lot of steps before Mm. that. And so um, in my 15 years, we've had one situation that had to go before the congregation. Mm. Um. Some people would say that doesn't sound like very many. I say, thank God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that um, people are responding to correction hmm. before it gets to the point of being brought before the congregation. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right?
0: Um, well, I want to take it a step further in how we think about that because what's the point hmm. of excommunication? Because we say that that a healthy church – should be willing. Uh, somebody said a healthy church should be willing to kick you out. Mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that's true, but what's the purpose of that? So you have uh, this passage in First Corinthians five. You read my mind <laughs> that <laughs> is all about this this man who's committing a terrible sexual sin. It says that he has his that he has his father's wife. so it sounds like his stepmom. Uh, that he's having sexual relations with her and and Paul says not only are you not doing anything about it but you're celebrating it like this is your the freedom that you have in Christ <laughs> right And he's like this is this is so dumb you are not to be to be doing that And he says your' boasting is not good. don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump so this when sin creeps into the church uh, that's another. Uh, just side note that I want to make is that there's no such thing as a personal sin.
2: Mm.
0: Sin affects the body. A little leaven leavens mm. the whole lump. Yeah. And so there's nothing that you're doing. You say, oh, it's in the privacy of my own home, you know, whether it's pornography or or, or alcohol, you know, whatever, uh, getting drunk, mm-hmm. um, whatever the case is. Oh, that's that just affects me. It's only my life. It wasn't. No, mm-hmm. a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Mm-hmm. The scripture is very clear about that and in some way that affects the whole body Mm. of believers. And so uh, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so he goes Mm. on to talk about Christ as the Passover lamb and that he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. (laughs) Mm. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or drunkard or whatever. And I believe Paul is assuming that all the steps have been taken. Uh, All the steps of Matthew 18 have been taken. And if they Mm. continue on in this sin that you are to disfellowship them. Right. Right. So then you go over to Second Corinthians, and in Second Corinthians chapter two, he has this section in verses five through eleven where um, he's talking about now refellowshipping mm-hmm. them, right? So he says, if anyone has caused pain, if he uh, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you, for such a one, a punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote that I might test you, and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven any, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, Hmm. so that we should not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Hmm. The whole idea of church discipline is to get people to repent Hmm. and to come back into fellowship with the body of Christ. Amen. It is to make them feel that longing, that miss, that they're missing something. By not being involved mm. in the body of Christ, by not being served the Lord's Supper, by not being uh, ministered to by the by the people in the in the church, mm. you know that they are longing for that familial relationship that they that you're supposed to have in the in the body of believers. And the whole point of excommunication, we don't excommunicate for the purpose of excommunication. Yeah, we excommunicate for the purpose of reconciliation. Amen. And it's always to bring people back into the fold. And so not only should your church be willing to kick you out, they should be willing to bring you back when you've repented. And when you've Mm. reconciled between you and God, then you're reconciled
1: between you and other people. Mm.
0: And so, yes, your church needs to be willing to kick you out, but they also need to be willing to take you back.
1: Well put. Very well put. Yeah, church discipline needs to be done in a biblical manner and for godly reasons. Right. Not as a power grab, not as a bully pulpit, but um, like you said, and like you pointed out what Paul says, for the purity of the body and for the reconciliation of the sinner. Because that's Yeah, because
0: he says in there something about, I already went off that screen, let's see what I got here. So that we should not be outwitted by Satan. Mm-hmm. So the idea is we can, we can kick somebody out and then have a completely unforgiving attitude towards mm-hmm. them. And Satan has won. Mm. And that's, that's not what we're, that's not what we want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the whole idea of, of excommunication is to make them feel the, feel the loss. And so uh, to receive them back, in love and in reconciliation is uh, is defeating the enemy yeah and so we don't want to be outwitted by Satan we don't want him to to use our own practices for his purposes mm. right because yeah. the, the practice of excommunication is a good one but not for excommunication's sake but for reconciliation's mm. sake.
1: Amen so. I I think we've got a great episode here. I think if we could sum it up, the, the gospel is central. Christ is central to the health of any congregation. And from that focus on our relationship with Christ and the gospel of Christ will come all of these different elements that we've brought up. mm mm-hmm. um, I have church membership listed on here, but to be honest, it seems kind of trivial at this point because we've covered really what's central, but we can maybe mention church membership. There's some churches that do membership, some that don't. There's some healthy churches that don't do church membership, and there's some unhealthy churches that do church membership. (laughs) Uh, So it's really one of those things that is hit or miss, and there's no biblical passage that really talks about church membership. So what are your thoughts? I would offer offer
0: that... Uh, every church has membership mm. whether they have official role or not, whether they keep official records, whether whatever their re- their requirements might be, when I, we were at Church A, there was uh, classes that you went through, they told you about the history of the church, they told you about the gospel, they told you all these things and you signed off on a certain set of doctrinal statements and you know understandings and that and then you went on an official role mm-hmm. as a member of Church A. Um, the Church I pastor now, we don't have an official role, uh, but I also I know my sheep. Mm-hmm. I know who the members of my church body are, and I don't allow uh, uh, that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> I highly discourage, let's put it that way. yeah, um, you coming. Here one Sunday and going over to, you know, the church, the next church down the street, the next Sunday, and then going into the next church, the next Sunday. No, pick a spot, become part of that body, mm-hmm. immerse yourself in that body, become a member.
1: Yeah, whether that is because you need solid fellowship. You need
0: solid fellowship, and whether that is you become a member officially on a roll and you get a member certificate of membership, mm-hmm. or you just know. <laughs> that this is my church, these are my people, that's my pastor, mm. um, then, then you've also become a member mm. of that church. Yeah. And so church membership can be exercised in a bunch of different ways, but I would offer that every church has membership. Mm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, we're all members of one another. Amen. Um, we're members of the body and we're members of Christ because we're all united to him. So... um, whether we acknowledge that by having a roll sheet or not, we are members yes. of the body. We are and we are uniquely fitted for certain things that God has given us in our gifting and our callings, our individual vocations. And whether whether we sign on the dotted line or not, we're we're part of the body. So amen. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Well, I think that wraps up this episode. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, If you have any questions, please email us at the number four rantsandrevelations at gmail.com and we'd love to answer your questions. God bless you guys.